That's a different podcast, Dan. You guys still holding AMC? I've lost $60,000 so far, but I'm still fucking holding. I just I bought a bunch of uh, cryptocurrency. Welcome to the Oz Pack. Are you a fan of the werewolf played by Seth Green in the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> hey, 60 grand in the hole. Fuck it, YOLO, right? Hey, seven seasons, 144 episodes. <laughs> That's so funny. That we Eli, what are you into? The- <laughs> That's so funny that we were all talking about Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, what's up, guys? Right. Stack pack back, hanging out. We with you. Um, I'm David Howell, joined by Daniel Benavides. What's up? How's it going? It's all right. Fucking broke. Lost sixty grand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. I feel like you wouldn't be as sweet about it. Um, oh, Eli Dominguez. Um, on the mend. Um, I wonder if anybody's worrying. to anybody reach out? Was anybody like? No. No. <laughs> no one reached out and touched Faith. <laughs> they just wanted to know what song we were trying to remember. Yeah. If you, <laughs> yeah. They're like, well, did you mean this song? And I got introduced to a new song about a girl I love being our 17. cult following, by the way. <laughs> was Let that me say that again because I had ice last, in my mouth. Was that this Let week? me say that again. Hold on. I had ice in my mouth. I love our cult following, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a fun, small cult. But all the best ones are pretty small, right? Yeah. We can all get matching shoes and hitch a ride Move on a to Waco. Let's move to Waco, guys. Oh. All right. Can, can there's I, options. There's options. <laughs> can I go ahead and introduce us properly now? Yeah. Yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another intriguing edition of the Stack Pack. Perhaps you could help solve a mystery. Help us. Um, we're talking about season... Five, episode five of the original. Oh, is it four? No, episode four. It's four. Yeah. Wait. Season five, episode four. Is it? Oh, yes. fuck. Oh, it's Did five. We... No. Oh, it's don't. four. Don't tell me we watched the wrong one. Did you? No. The 22 year old girl who has five kids. <laughs> That's the same episode. You know what's weird? You're right. Up on my YouTube, Damn, I typed in episode four. But it's episode five, five episode came five. out. You're right. Forget oh, what I said. Gosh. Say that over. I was like, dude, you no. S- I was like, how it's so weird. so long to get this season started? Oh, my God. It's been so long. How are we still on four? You stoned <laughs> motherfucker. Actually, that's funny. Is you're the one that's not stoned out of this trio. <laughs> oh, of, no. Of true crime hooligan. My bad. <laughs> Yeah, so season five, episode five of the original Robert Sack hosted series. Catch it on, catch it on YouTube. Catch it on Tubi. Tubi? I don't know. I just I threw th- one in there. Uh, Pluto. I think it's. I think it's on Discovery. I Plus think that's a new also? streaming service oh, that Discovery, David just created. Discovery Plus. That makes sense. Um, IMDb TV via Amazon Prime Video. I mean, it's it's still on Amazon Prime. Just there's commercials, and it's going to tell you that you have exclusive access to IMDb TV. Which is a website that I still look at daily. Um, oh, I look at it all the time. I can't watch a movie or a show without getting on IMDb. I'm not. I have a, a serious issue. Do you still? Uh, do you browse the top news on there? No, I always I've never do. Done if I that. just want like unpolitical 
I mean, I do all the, like every day I, I check, you know, you got your movie section, your TV section, like, you know, when you have the app, you can scroll down to top news. Help me get my credit on IMDb. Um, I do that a lot. Uh, you want your IMDb credit? We can, I'm sure. I'm, I'm credited. I have two credits. Yeah. Yeah. You can be no, a I miscellaneous crew and then your tech, you're an uh, extras don't get credits on IMDb though. If they if they hold a credit in another film, they can be listed as an uncredited oh, extra. Okay, so uh, I, I technically have three credits. We I don't know if we've talked about this, but Dan's in the in the movie Glory Road about the first black uh, all black uh, college football college basketball team, basketball. and it was in El Paso. Don Haskins, baby. Uh, they Don Haskins, all black. But they just oh, it was the first one to integrate, went, right? I've never seen fir- that. Sh- I've they never were the seen it. Fir- oh my god, it's a good, it's a good movie, yeah, man. I'm sorry, I've never seen. I don't really like in, uh, inspirational sports not, movies. You have not, dude. Seen I watch them Disney all the movie. time. And that, but I, I think you're Dan is in it when they're getting on a bus to go to a game. I've seen the scene where Dan's an extra, and I think his credit would definitely definitely be clapping boy. <laughs> I didn't know Daniel you were in Benavidez there. Dude, as Clapping I watch, Boy. I watch all of them. I watch Glory Road, that movie Miracle. But have the you seen Ted Lasso? Team. Oh man, I was in Glory Road. It was great. No. It was the best week experience ever. Ted Lasso, dude. Oh my goodness, it is the sweetest, dude. It's a fucking warm ever. hug. It's an Apple TV show starring Jason Sudeikis as as a college football coach, American as oh. fuck. Who gets sent I to? Love it. Who gets sent to England to coach um, a not a, a a kind of on the brink uh, English football team, and and the reason that I mean basically he's hired because the lady who owns it was in a divorce and just wants to ruin her husband's team, oh so she God. hires this American guy. But of course he's the sweetest man, and he's just you know it's so pure but funny and British, and it's a warm hug like. Dude, no, I watch them all. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add that to my list, dude. I watch. We are the Titans. We are Marshall. Mighty Ducks. Oh, I mean, I do love, I do love the Mighty Ducks, and Rookie of the Year, and Rookie uh, of the Year, and Angels, Angels in, the in the Outfield. Yeah, yeah, the '90s ones, the ones I grew up with, I do like. But it's, Moneyball, yeah. dude, I will watch Moneyball. You know, I haven't seen that, but I really want to. I know it's. A oh good my movie. gosh, it's great. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I love the, the the feel of the movie. I love Brad Pitt working with Jonah Hill. It's just such a – oh, man. Oh, I yeah. That was it. one of the first times Jonah Hill was like, hey, I can be serious too. And then <laughs> – it's funny. It only took like one movie for his sister. It's like, hey, you're really good at comedy. And she's like, all right, I'm going to go play Monica Lewinsky and you're going to – I'm going to win an Emmy. There's no way she's not going to win an Emmy. You don't think? I, they're filming it right now, and I think she, I think she's a pretty damn good actress. Uh, did you ever seen Booksmart? Yeah, I saw Booksmart. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It's a winner. Um, anyway, yeah, this is an unsolved mysteries podcast. <laughs> so this is a missing persons case. Um, it starts off with uh, uh, this lady named Mary Urich, who's uh, going down to Houston. Well, I think she lives in Houston too. She's going to visit her sister. In the year of our Lord, 1967. Um, while she's driving there, she's got a bad feeling, right? She also has a really bad hairdo. Yeah. She has a beehive. It's very tall. And that's one thing that the reenactment gets right. It is unbeweavable. <laughs> <laughs> that hair is 
nuts. Oh my goodness. I guess the I guess the saying is true, the higher the hair, the closer to God. Yeah, for sure. They are in Texas. They are in Texas. There's that's big hair country. How, how many <laughs> jars of that, so. how many jars of honey does that hair do produce a day? Um Do you think she put gorilla glue to hold it in? Gorilla glue. <laughs> or she's just like a hardcore punk and she just uses Elmer's. Um anyway. The cage, the cage to sculpt that must weigh so much. It's gotta be yeah. so bad for her neck. She so David, you didn't hear about the gorilla glue girl? No, no. What? She put Gorilla Glue in her hair, and it stayed that way for a month. It's still that way. Oh, gross. She couldn't get it off, and now she's trying to sue the company. Well, that's dumb. Uh, did it, it did its job. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so, so the, but what's funny is the lady in the reenactment is an older lady, and she, well, like middle age, and she's got this big old beehive thing we were talking about, and then the reenactment, they like give the lady the same hair to the oh, T. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Um, so she's the sister, right? Yes. The sister. So she gets to her sister's house. She notices that the toddler, the little boy is just playing outside by himself. That's very weird. Then she goes inside and the girl is like in front of the sink and she is just playing with the dishes and playing with the water, having a field day. Oh yeah. Damn it. You took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) My kids love to play with sink water and toys, man. I mean, who doesn't? (laughs) I did it as a kid too. Yeah. That does sound fun. Um, (laughs) <laughs> you want to know what I used to like to do when I was a child? Oh, no. I, I don't know. What? I don't know I don't if I know. do. I might regret saying yes, but what? I used to like to get the sprayer. Yeah. And just spray it on the floor. Just fucking. Oh. You asshole. Just hose the floor. <laughs> I would have spanked you. you <laughs> I would have spanked you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was also notorious for putting regular dish detergent in the dishwasher. Well, at least you didn't eat ta- Tide Pods. Foam party. Jesus. No, just don't let them, just don't clean. Anyway, so this little girl is playing in the sink and she's like, mom's asleep. And then the sister goes in and the mom is like laying on, like she's like halfway off the bed. She's unresponsive. So they call 911 and she has an aneurysm, right? Um, they do an operation. To- I don't think they had 911 back then. In 1967? I don't know. She calls the cops or whatever. She calls an ambulance and they, they get her to the hospital. They, they fix the aneurysm somehow. They, there was a blockage. They clamped an artery in her neck. Um, yeah. I was going to say, I read about it. They, they clamped her artery and apparently it was successful, but it had a really bad, um, side effect. Yeah. She lost all of her memories. Yep. Um, she couldn't even, even eat. She didn't even know her kids or her husband, right? Yeah. yeah. Or her sister. Like, her sister said, like, when she came to, she just kind of had this look like, uh, what am I doing here? Who the hell are you? But yet she could speak, which is weird. I I wish they would have given more detail of how, who, or who she, I, I know it's a, a limited amount of time that they had, but I wish we would have known more about her before the aneurysm like what kind of a person was she like what kind of a personality did she have it is weird that she could do basic speech but maybe she couldn't because they do say that she had to relearn everything they said she had to relearn how to eat um and then of uh, her husband left her 
and took the kids, which is really fucked up. Yeah, can we have a side note about how shitty of a person could be like, yeah, you know, you know that vow where I said, you know, till death do us part. Sickness and in health. Yes, yeah, psych. Bye. Yeah, I didn't mean psych. That. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, the husband took the children, and not that long after her, after that, there was a, there was a person that was assigned to look after her, and uh, she reported that uh, Pat was missing one day, like just completely gone, and um, they didn't know where she was. She ends up in Alabama, which is seven hundred miles away from Houston. She didn't remember how she got there. They say her memory never actually fully returned, but uh, eventually she gets remarried to a guy named Troy Carlton. Um, this guy didn't f- at first know anything about her past, but they started dating pretty quickly. And when he learned, he didn't. It didn't make a difference to him. You know, he was like, it just made him more. He says it just made him more yeah. concerned. Right. This like, guy seems like a sweetheart. Uh, he wanted. He wanted to take care of her. Yeah. So they married in '69, January of '69, and he wanted to get cuss. He wanted her. He encouraged her to get custody of her children. Apparently she was going to go through with it. There was like a, a, a custody hearing that was uh, set up for later in the year. And apparently a week before that, she goes missing and she went missing for a long time this time. And the husband wasn't aware of any of this shit. So dude, isn't that messed up? Wouldn't that be something like she had a history of doing this? Yeah. Even before like, and, 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 and in the episode, like kind of convenient for like her family to kind of like not mention that glaze over that. Like, that's Oh, that's so saying. awesome that, that you're going to marry her. Like this is my friend, such a relief. Oh, by the way, she has a known history of just like, I don't know, wandering off. This is my sister-in-law <laughs> worry about, but <laughs> this is my sister-in-law. This is my friend. Uh, what's his name? Carlton. Troy. This is my friend, Troy Carlton. I'm not going to tell you anything about how she like completely lost her memory, like 100%. Um, yeah, so she walks off and, uh, well, at this point he knew that she had some problems, but not that she had walked off or yeah. you know, just went missing. So he's going crazy looking for her. Um, and his response when they finally tell him is, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So three weeks later, she's sighted by somebody at the other uh, side, some other part of town in Houston. And he goes to pick her up and he's, you know, in the reenactment, he's like, howdy stranger. And she just says like, are you mad at me? And he's like, no, no, you know, like, just get in the car. Like, do you want to come home? And she comes home and he says he never, he, he asked a bunch of times, but he never found out where she was or what she did during those three weeks. Um, and they say she did the same similar thing seven more times before the last time that she went missing for God, that's I, not so for stressful. good because we're uh, you know thirty some odd years in the future. But the when she went missing um, for why did you say this? The, Her last great disappearance. Yeah, the inciting event that makes this a segment on Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> yeah. So for over a year, she's missing. Nobody knows where she is. And um, the last anybody hears of her is apparently she's in San Diego at some point, And a social worker tried to contact her family. And they eventually got a hold of one of her aunts in Alabama but she doesn't oh, follow because- up because she thinks she's she's like, oh, no, she's fine. She's completely fine. She's in Houston. 
Like, no need to worry that this person is saying that I'm re- that she's related to me. Yeah, that was so weird. Yeah, that's kind of um, shitty. What, what is crazy, though, is that she did remember her maiden name, and she remembered at least her aunt's name. So some they're they're saying that they think that some of her memory did come back. Oh, it also they uh, I think they mentioned that she also remembered her birthplace. Yeah, because well, she does go back there earlier on in one of her episodes. So Troy is missing, but Troy, she's still missing, but Troy is still looking for her. Um, with the blessing of his. Uh, wife and he helped raise her kids and he's like i wouldn't trade what i have but he just wants to know what happened to her yeah well at this point at at this point at the what the day that the segment aired i guess was i think she's missing 22 years yeah and unsolved mysteries just drops um it just drops the fact that oh yeah and by the way 33 years after they found her in san francisco and they don't give us any more info um but uh Worst Thank God we have the internet ever. Yeah, it was just like, okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah, you're just gonna drop that little tidbit of like, oh yeah, she was found 33 years later. Done. Like, how? Like, like how was she discovered? Like, they don't say how she was found. But what's sad is that when she was found, by this time her. Her husband, Troy, who they interviewed, he had already passed away in 1997. So sadly, he never got to know that they found her. But um, she was located alive and safe, and she was living in San Francisco. Um, I guess they finally discovered her in 2004, which was 33 years after she disappeared. Um, Apparently, she lost more of her memory because she had a stroke. After she vanished, so she lost even more. But when they found her and when they, I guess they did a like a, a reunion, um, she did remember her sisters and she recognized them. Um, but sadly, one year after they reunited, she passed away. Is she Marianne? No, she's not Marianne. Oh, Marianne was the sister. Yeah, Marianne died. Sadly, Marianne passes away in 2005, only one year after their reunion. Um, Right. So, So, I guess Barbara and and Patricia are still alive. Yeah, according to this, they found her and she's safe. Damn. Like, there's no. I want to know a little bit more specifics about that. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, What's their next case? The next one is a dues. the next one is this uh, wanted case. We're going to Banff, Alberta, um, which is a lovely little uh, touristy town. Oh, yeah. Um, See uh, Snowy Paradise? When Robert Stack was introducing this and he was like, a lovely Banff, Canada, I was like, oh, yeah, like that place is gorgeous. I spent the day at Lake Louise in Banff National Park. Like, oh, yeah. And then it's just like this adorable part-time cab driver is murdering. You're just like, fuck. And apparently it was the first murder in like 20 years. That's cool that you've been there. I, I just, I kept hearing Banff, like, you know, like the acronym, yeah. like badass motherfucker. Like badass motherfucker. Because that <laughs> place is too. that. 
badass nother fucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this seems like a lovely little town. But yeah. This girl, Lucy Trammell, moves there in fall of 1987. Um, she wants to be independent, and she loves the picturesque town. Her brother, who sounds like uh, Jacques, uh, the bad guy from Twin Peaks, um, played by Michael Parks. Like, I didn't, you know, I thought that accent was so bad in the show. I was like, I love that show, so I could get over it. But when I heard that, like, Quebecian dude, like, his accent, I was like, oh, my God, it's spot on. Like, yeah, that dude talks like that. And Dan was like, he sounds like a villain. And I was like, no, he sounds like that one villain. <laughs> sounds like one Which villain makes me know. correct. He sounds like a villain. Koopa. Koopa. <laughs> hey, Koopa. Because <laughs> it's like, but it's like Texas has Michael Parks doing the voice. So, I mean, it's not gr- as great as his, but I see what he was going for now. At least I get that. Okay. So, yeah, the, the brother um, tells us uh, some of the story. He's very Quebecian. Um, he says that she moved there for the paradise and the and stuff. Um, so, yeah, like Dan said, she's a part-time cab driver. And she's there for a while because it, um, the event in question happens m- occurs May 17th of 1990. So um, how that night starts off is she logs in at 8 p.m., She's uh, staying. She's sticking around the downtown area, which is you know all the bars and restaurants. She can get good tabs from all the tourist folks, um, and apparently she gets a, about just over a hundred dollars. And at one forty, she shows up. At one forty a.m., she shows up to a nightclub to like pick up her last fare uh, for the night. Just get one more, and she talks to a dude, uh, another a fellow cab driver, same company. And they exchange a, you know, they have, they exchange some words and she's, he sees, uh, one man and two women get in the car with her and she, uh, you know, she does her job. She tells the dispatcher where she's going, lets everybody know what's going on. And then off she goes. And that's the last the dude sees of her. Yeah. Before GPS, before you could track anything. Yeah. It's really smart that they, I mean, they log their rides. They're like, this is where I'm going to be. Um, she's also a very young, uh, pretty girl, too. It's weird. Yeah. She's a brunette, but in the reenactment, was it a blonde girl? It was a blonde girl. Yeah, they didn't try there. They went hard with the beehive wig, but with this, oh, they yeah. were just like, eh, who gives a shit? <laughs> we're going to just phone in this one. This one's fun. Yeah. We spent all the money on the beehive. Yeah, those that fucking beehive wig was too much. Just, yeah. We couldn't afford a brunette actress. The blonde was the Key Grip's uh, sister. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> key Grip is some sort of position in a, in a film production. Uh, don't ask me what it is. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so 12 minutes later, um, the dude, uh, the co-worker, uh, radios in and he's like, hey, did Lucy call it? You know, did Lucy check in again? And the operator says no. Um, and he finds it a little odd. And then a little bit after that, he's, he starts looking for her. Uh, he goes around to the area where she last reported dropping someone off and he starts looking. Um, I think he, they even say that, she, that he passes by her home and while he's driving around, he sees her cab drive right by him, but there's a man in the car. She is not driving and he gives chase. He legitimately chases this dude through the streets while on the radio with his dispatch guy. Like the first thing he asks is, 
hey, is that you? Because he sees a man driving the car. And he's like, nope. Uh, they Someone stole that cab. And so he chases this guy for miles, right? Two, two miles. Yeah, two miles, I think. Two-mile chase with speeds reaching 80 miles per hour. Yeah. Which kind of doesn't seem like a that very long chase. I do eight. That that sounds like me on a freeway on a on a Monday. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at the cars in this reenactment, they're I mean, they look like they were clunkers even but in nineteen ninety one. But think think about it, like eighty miles per hour, two mile chase. Like, so the pursuit lasted what? Maybe do the math for us. Get back to us. Maybe a minute and a <laughs> half, two minutes. At one point, it was up to eighty miles an hour. Um, I was there. Uh, it's unsolved mysteries, word or die. The stunt Bigfoot, driving. Bigfoot has a son, Dan. The, the, the stunt driving and the reenactment was fucking gorgeous. Yeah, it was so. good. Why was that my first example? It. You remember Bigfoot and his little Bigfoot son in like the first <laughs> season? <laughs> he does have a son. You and Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Tufts of hair. Uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> so at one point he corners the cab, and the dude runs off uh, into the woods, and um, and then at that, of course, they cut to the cops finding the body at around that exact same time because they responded to somebody saying, "Hey, there's a dead body in the street," and um, they found her stabbed like. I, there was more specifics. Don't quote me. I, out. Well, I'll, I'll, I think they just said she was stabbed several times in the neck. On the I want to say it was seven or seventeen. Uh, on the Wikipedia page, I believe Oof. it says seventeen times in the in, in the face and neck. But um, oh I'll definitely clarify that before the end of this case because the Wikipedia page has some more info about the the guy who killed her. So we'll get into that in a second. So, um, well, <laughs> clarify it anyway. Um, so yeah, she's found dead and that sucks. Um, her wallet was missing and, but it was later recovered with no money in it and her yellow jacket was missing. So they can just surmise robbery being the best motive. Um, there was blood all over the dashboard and on the steering wheel, but they were able to figure out that that wasn't her blood. So they think that while he was just blindly stabbing this girl in the neck that he probably cut himself. Um, 18 hours later, a lady finds a bloody knife in her driveway. On the episode, they say the knife is said to have been stolen from a hotel employee, which is interesting. So they think that he might have been been an out-of-towner. Um, and the, the update that we'll get into is uh, that a man named Ryan Jason Love was eventually convicted uh, for this murder and they tell us that he uh, served his time and he's out and I do have a little bit more information about that because uh, yeah that's crazy he was he was like 18 she was in her early 20s and he was like 18 yeah it's really sad especially now that we know more it's really really sad September 11th of 2012 he gets out of jail he he's released on a full parole and I'll just kind of, yeah. I mean, it's not a long article. Should I just read it? I'm going to read yeah. it. Yeah. So like I said, Vancouver sun by Sherry Zick Foose. 
Zikfus, Zikfus. I'm probably not saying that right, but anyway, um, the man convicted of stabbing young Banff cabbie to to death decades ago has been granted full parole. But Ryan Jason Love has already been given a warning after just two months on day parole in BC after coming out of a strip bar with a friend. Um, and this friend apparently had been drinking, which is against his parole. So, um, yeah, he has strict conditions to avoid drugs and alcohol. Love, who's 41 when he was 18, it says here, stabbed 23-year-old cabbie Lucy Termel to death for her night's earnings on May 17th of 1990. Um, apparently, it was less than $130, and he stole that. He hides from the police, and he was charged with second-degree murder after the un- uh, an undercover cop befriended him a year and a half after the killings, and they, they get to, into more specifics about that. Termel's brother says news that his sister's killer is finally moving ahead is unsettling. It's not good news, but it's not bad news, says Louis Trumel from Quebec. Um, oh, wait, I should do it in his voice because this is the brother. This is yeah, not good it. news. This is bad news. Um, it's, he said it's kind of behind us. You know, They've uh, made peace with it. Trumel says his family is thankful for the restrictions the board has ordered, but beyond that, Love has served his time. What can we do? They say they've done what they needed to do. Love was sentenced to life with no chance of parole for 20 years. He earned day parole last September with conditions to avoid drugs and alcohol. So within two months of him getting out, him and his friend are pulled over by a cop. Um, They give him a breathalyzer test. And according to the police, his friend had been drinking, but there's no mention that he had been drinking. The driver also received a warning from police and love said that he's distanced himself from his friend. Um, that's what the, per- according to the parole board, <laughs> hmm. apparently drugs and alcohol fueled loves brutal rage. The night he stabbed Tramel. he's been abstinent from substance since 2005. The board wrote, which is crazy. It's like, damn. So he was doing drugs for a, for a, quite a while in prison. <laughs> oh Yeah. Uh, maintaining your sobriety is a key risk management strategy. The board wrote love's full parole begins in November. And this is from 2012 love is rated low risk to offend violently. The board wrote a psychiatrist recommended that love be monitored closely and psychotherapy be a lifelong endeavor. Apparently he enjoys swimming and bowling. And he also wrote and directed plays while serving time at William head institution. And he also attends the theater, the report said. Love also made headlines across the country in 2000 after saying, I'm having the time of my life here performing with the prison theater troupe. That's so cute. The the prison theater troupe. Right? <laughs> like their own, their, own, uh, their own renditions of Broadway shows. <laughs> <laughs> During Love's day parole hearing last year, he told the panel, I'm a very good person who's done a very, very bad thing. That can never happen again. That will never happen again. The violent murder rocked Banff, an international destination that sees mostly petty crime. Love has been working as a housekeeper at the Banff Springs Hotel, but spent all his earnings due to 10 months of unhinged drinking, he said. The fuck? Okay. What? Oh, no, that, that's at the time of the, sorry, that's at the time of the murder. Oh. 
Um, this is the way he explains what happened. On May 17th, 1990, he flags a taxi intending to rob the driver. He wanted to use the money to impress his family at a reunion, he told the parole board in 2011. Yeah, that's what I read. He directed Trammell to a dark, quiet street and pulled out a hunting knife. He stabbed Trammell 17 times in the face and neck. She bled to death on the street as Love jumped into the cab and drove off. A massive police investigation zeroed in on Love after 5,000 tourists and service resort town workers were interviewed. One of Lowe's roommates recognized the hunting knife police recovered after the killing. So this is the interesting part of how they caught him, I think. A year and a half after the killings, undercover police surreptitiously collected a DNA sample from Love, who had refused to offer one once police learned the murder weapon they found was his. So apparently the knife was his. Yeah. A mucus-filled tissue was scooped by detectives posing as robbers who gave Love a job as a lookout man. <laughs> so these cops were like, hey, let's do a job. And then they like stole one of his dirty tissues. So during his bid for parole last year, Love finally spoke publicly about killing and spending half of his life in prison. This is his quote. Prison hasn't been easy. It's been a long 19 years, but any hardships I've had have been nothing compared to my family's and Termel family and the Termel family. The entire town of Banff was hurt. I won't hurt again. Love said in August, 2011, his level of brutality during the murder was uncharacteristic. He said other conditions of his parole include mandatory psychological counseling and abstaining from drugs and alcohol. He's also forbidden to contact the victim's family. Canada, very polite. Okay, you served your time there. You know, just don't go ahead and don't kill again, you know? Yeah, they're like, okay, we're going to let you off. <laughs> Moose out front should have told you. <laughs> That'd be real, real special if you just didn't go ahead and kill. We'll get That'd you right back super. on the streets there, you know? It'd be real super, eh? <laughs> So the next case is a lost loves and um, this, this one is so confusing for me. Oh my gosh. It's so weird. This Let's girl just... has some kind of shady past and we <laughs> still don't know. So Georgia and Boyd, I don't know. Ger- Georgia and Boyd. If that's even her real name. <laughs> if that's even your it's not real at all. name. Um, a man named Daryl Tacey, which sounds like. It's like a pig, la- like so, like somebody like mixed up the first two <laughs> letters of like, like Terrell Dacey is also weird, but yeah, Daryl Tacey is this man who spins the yarn uh, of Georgia Ann Boyd. Daryl Tacey meets this m- mysterious, beautiful woman at a f- county fair. She was mysterious as hell. Um, she said that her dad was Cherokee and she was born at, on a reser- reservation in North Carolina. She's a damn um, spinster. Yeah. He 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 finds out she's a go-go dancer and he starts spending a lot of time at the club. And then very quickly he starts uh dating her and he finds out that she lives with an older lady and he she calls the lady grandma granny granny but he figures out pretty quickly that they're not related. She's just a sweet old lady. And then her and her two kids move in with Daryl Tacey. And, um, but she's kind of a paranoid, uh, she's kind of weird, right? Like she like closes blinds and only answers the phone when she's got like specifications. Um, 
eventually she admits that she's scared of her ex-husband who might want to take custody of the kids. Yeah. So, okay. Just to get this right, because this is kind of what confuses me is the number of kids she has. So she meets Daryl and already has two kids. Yeah. She's living with two girls, I think. And she also, she lives with grandma and two girls. Yeah. And spoiler alert, we'll find out later that she has two kids somewhere else before this. As well. That's crazy. So at this point, she already has four kids. She only has custody of two. So uh, a little while later, one time he goes into the club and finds these creepy uh, uh, hoodlums. Hoodlums. Well-dressed hoodlums. Yeah. Oh, wait. There's the well-dressed hoodlums. Wait. Did I write that one too? There's the the well-dressed hoodlums. There are two men with suits and ties. And then, but what I was talking about was the bikers. Oh, well, it talks about them moving in together first. And then it talks about this. The two men first. The two guys in suits who yeah. were like talking to her and he wouldn't, she wouldn't answer as like who they were, what they wanted. But I want to know is what kind of a place was this? Cause I mean, just cause they were well-dressed. She's like, they were clearly not normal customers. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, that was, that was just really, really quick in passing. But then uh, shortly after that, the next part is when they talk about the bikers yeah they he gets there and there's these bikers that are kind of like fucking with her and then they're apparently they're called the uh the devil's disciples right mm-hmm. the devil's disciples it sounds menacing hell satan um and the devil's disciples wanted uh wanted her to come back with them because she, she told daryl that she used to run with them and that they wanted her back and he was like, well, you're, there, you're not going anywhere. So um, once she got off, they like kind of ducked out the back, but they were like in a creepy pervert van and they like chased him down. And I guess eventually they get away, right? They get away when they, when the cops start chasing and they, he does like a straight up tailspin. What's up with these high speed chases? Yeah, and lots, of, lots of high speed chases and I was, memory loss. I was just going to say. That was another beautiful scene of stunt driving in this episode. Maybe it was the same drivers. Ooh, maybe. Yeah, like, so so they're driving, and once the cops start chasing, he, like, you know, does a little 180, and then the van drives off, and the cop, in the reenactment, the cop stops, and I guess he runs out and is like, that person was chasing us, and it was crazy. Whatever, these people were bad, bad, bad news. And still, she wouldn't tell him shit. She would just keeping her mouth cl- closed. So the army moves Daryl to some place in California. They relocate to California in 1977. And everything's fine and peachy now. You know, nobody knows where she is. But then a couple months later, shit starts happening again. Someone starts to begin harassing her. Um, Like... Someone's bang people banging on the doors in the middle of the night, mostly when he's at work. And at one point, while he was there, somebody just like opened the door, and I guess it was unlocked, but the hat the latch is closed in the reenactment, and you just see his yeah, hands, he's and he's just like kind of trying to reach in, and he's like, "I'm gonna get you! I'm gonna get you!" It's so creepy. Oof. And then the next day, um, written on the door, it says, "I'll get you, Jet," which we still don't know. When this is never explained, like why it never is after he, he he confronts her and asks her if that was like a nickname she had, and she's like, "No, I swear, I don't know who that is." Yeah, it's like so weird. Like, just tell me what, like, 
Yeah, like, she's obviously very, very they're it, you know they're not just here. It's not just random, unless they were like ghost bikers who haunted her. Um, but and, she was pregnant at the time, right? When the stranger tries coming in, I think so. Yeah. Um, she she tells him at one point, like, "I'll tell you everything, but just not right now." And she, of course, she never gets the choice, the chance. So, how many kids did she have with Daryl? They have two kids together, and they eventually move back to Michigan, which is uh, his hometown in Michigan. And um, also, at some point, she she mentioned she tells him like. You know, when all this stuff is going on and people are, you know, banging on the doors, she's like, if anything happens to me, just promise me that you'll take care of my kids. Um, So once they're settled down in Michigan with their two kids, she like apparently right after she has the second kid, she begins to have these terrible headaches. And then it gets to the point where she he has to call the ambulance because she can't even get up to go to the restroom, which I feel like is yeah. he might have waited way too long way too long to take her to the fucking doctor you know so they take her to the doctor and apparently i mean as far as the episode goes it seems like she just very quickly uh falls into a coma and then they're they're like she's pretty much brain dead because she had a brain aneurysm and then at 22 they take her off life support and so she has two kids she has six kids in all yeah. And he didn't know who to reach. He looked up like what the dad's name would have been in the town and the person who answered was like I don't have any daughters like Yeah. He goes back and tries his best to try to find out who she really was. He even goes back to the club where she was a dancer and the guy played dumb was like I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, they were like get out of here. We don't know who you're talking about. And then one of the girls was just like just leave, just like Yeah, just like you don't want to know. Just get out. So he's just very lots of shade. Um, he reached out to the Cherokee Nation and never got a response about her or her father. It's probably because she was a super white lady and not Cherokee or Native at all. Yeah. Um. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess it, we don't know that for sure, but who knows? I was just. I'm assuming. Um. And then the police, like. They they run a picture of her in the paper, and the paper gives her a similar reply, and is like, "Uh, why didn't you? Why did you only run it for one day?" And they were like, "Just drop it. Sorry, just drop it." And the police like ignore them and just say, "Like, just move on. We're not gonna talk about that." Yeah. So it's just like super super mysterious, and he just has this wife who he had for two and a half years, and then she died, and she never gave up any information about herself. Right. He was just fully in love and committed. So he said that she was 22 when she died. But, I mean, if he doesn't even know who she was, was she really 22? Yeah, maybe she was older. So there's an update. Um, a viewer calls in, right? You want to say her name? You want to say her real name? Yeah, what's her real name? It's Oh, you don't, don't have it? It's There's a lot of them. Um, a viewer calls in and says that that is Edith Geraldine Johns Moore. <laughs> There's a lot of names. A lot of white names in there. That's like, yeah. It's like a Senate hearing. Um, What'd she do? <laughs> so basically, with that information, the two families meet. And it's a really weird kind of white trash family reunion. 
I mean, you're not wrong. I can, yeah, I can say that, right? I'm white, whatever. So it's, many mullets. It, there's lots of mullets. There's the classy mullet, which is Daryl. And then we meet the girl's original dad, who might have been the one who was harassing her. Is that, like, is that the one? Because she said she was scared of her ex. Yeah, and that, and at one point she says that he might come be coming for the kids. So it's assuming that that's the one because he's like, he's like, I just found out that I'm a granddad, and you know, and it's just like, yeah, he didn't like that too much either. Yeah, and he was like, I'm too young, and I was like, and I was thinking like, yeah, and the lady that you were terrorizing was way too young to be dead and have six children, but <laughs> yeah, but you you didn't help with that stress, you fucking asshole. Yeah, I'm yeah, just convinced. That, I'm convinced that guy's a piece of shit. Like, I don't know. But I don't and know then, how yeah, so then else. they talk about at the reunion that they find out that that she had two kids before too. That's when we find out about the six kids. Yeah. So Daryl did not know this, and neither did uh, any of the four kids. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they're probably better off. Yeah, with oh, just yeah. Daryl and the. Uh, and the four girls that he had raised, I'm, I feel like those are better people. Um, like you know, who knows? But Daryl seemed like a very, very trustworthy dude. He was a young man that already had a home, and he was in the army and just doing the right thing. But you know, I'm sure there's many besides all the stories. But I don't know. I'm just convinced that this guy who's just like, whoa! I just met. I haven't seen my daughters in forever. Oh man. I guess after my wife died, I couldn't bang on any more doors. <laughs> weren't you harassing her? Yeah. You can't allow this reunion Wait, to happen. Aren't you the villain in this fucking segment, you piece of shit? Like, Did you and a brain aneurysm are the villains in this segment, you asshole. God. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. So, that's what I got to say about that one, I guess. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Very convoluted, man. That girl led a crazy life. A very short and productive, fruitful. Fruitful. Very fruitful. Not, I mean, not happy, but fruitful. So this last case is unexplained death. And you can, this one has a Wikipedia page. This is the case of the so-called Little Miss Lake Panaskovki. They make her look like Swamp Thing. <laughs> She's kind of a Jane Doe that was found um, by these uh, teenagers, right? So Lake Yeah, they were just walking. Lake Panaskovsky is in the Florida wetlands, which is uh, outside of Orlando. So I-75 is the road that connects Florida with the rest of the southeast. Um, and Fem- It goes far up, man. I've, I've actually followed the 75 route for some reason, and it goes all the way north up to Canada. Oh, damn. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's February of 1971, and these teenagers were hitchhiking, and they pretty much find a body while they're crossing the bridge. Um, there, it, it was all wrapped up, and there was a th- size 36 belt that was uh, around the woman's neck, right? She was strangled with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were able to surmise that she had died three weeks ago, more or less. She was in very shallow water. And, uh, yeah, they had no idea who she was. Nobody claimed the body six months passed, and then she's buried as a Jane Doe that year in 1971. 
and that goes as just like a little unsolved murder in that uh, in that area of Florida until 10 years later when a new sheriff comes to town, Jamie Adams, and he starts looking at this case and he's like, he, he doesn't like the way that it was just kind of, you know, that no one's really kept up on it. He's He says that he's a dad and a granddad and just the thought of just like this girl going unnamed and just, you know, there. It bothered him. Is shitty. So I disturbed. I think he used the word disturbed. Yeah, he seemed like a good old guy. I say good old boy, but that usually implies that he's a, a bad person. But he's a good old guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's the one who coins the name Little Miss Paniskowski. Um, the name uh, when I first heard it is yeah, it's kind of silly. I don't know. It's, it just seems very like it seems very like beauty pageant, and we're, we're talking yeah. about a dead body. Um, and so he, he does some digging, LOL. And if Dan wants to go ahead and say it. <laughs> Literal digging. <clears throat> Dig him up. <laughs> I like he, clear, he had to clear his throat for that one. Dig him up. Dig him up. I'm. Dig him up. You better be, if you're, I, I'm making myself do this. You're hearing. The brand new Dig 'em Up theme. Dig 'em up. Dig 'em up. That I created. Yeah. Dig 'em up. I'm making myself do this by saying this up. now. I'm at, I have to add it in. Dig 'em up. Dig 'em up. Dig 'em up. It happens too often for us to not have its own theme song. It doesn't need. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they exhume the body of Little Miss Panaskovsky, and we find some interesting things. What did they find? What do they find? Well, they f- first we have a really creepy ass doctor who has to tell us. That is so funny that you. S- oh my god, Eli! <laughs> Once again, different parts of the state. It's a big state, guys, and we're thinking the same thing because oh, yeah. this is exactly what I said. So they have the skull. <laughs> they're trying to see what you look like, and my note literally says, "Creepy Linda draws skin on skulls." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get her last name. I just liked Creepy Linda. <laughs> yeah. Her first name is Linda, for sure. I don't remember how they pronounce her last name, but her name is Linda Galliner. Gal- Gal- I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm probably butchering it. <laughs> so sorry if you're not. So creepy Linda, the doctor, <laughs> her job is um, she kind of puts skin on skull structures, like how the faces would look by just skulls. And she does these illustrations. And one thing that uh, Jamie, the sheriff, Jamie uh, asked her to do is actually age regressions because he thinks people from uh, – uh, people might recognize this uh, girl as like a little girl or as like, a you know, an adolescent, you know, or a toddler. So something she's never done. And it's pretty impressive that what they do. Yeah, she's got her whole science to it. She kind of goes into it a little bit about how she needs the, the skull exactly. We've come a long way from episode one where they did a transparency and tried to like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Find and out what funny, they look like. What's funny is it's only been, yeah, five years. And technically yeah. probably only like four because the way seasons work, you know. Yeah. They do it like. Yeah. yeah I got it's you. like 92, 93, 90, 93, 94. But yeah, we've come a long way. She actually has a science where she she has to take the, the, the skull that's actually to scale and actually 
uses that as her frame of reference to draw. Yeah, creepy Linda draws face. skin on skulls. Yeah, she does. Um, they also, we also forgot to mention that when they, they also found that she had uh, like an orthopedic surgery because the, uh, they, they found some, the, basically during the surgery, they had drilled some holes into her ankle and I think they reinforced some tendons using like some kind of a metal. It looked like a paper clip, to be honest with you. Didn't look like much of a, but, it, but apparently it worked. So that's the way they did the surgery. So that's a definitely key indicator of maybe somebody who she was, but yeah, creepy Linda makes her look kind of like a young Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah. I think she gives her too pudgy of cheeks. Like this. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they, and they do she different was... hairstyles. Yeah. She does different hairstyles on her just to, you know, change it up a bit. I guess parting the hair in the middle was a big thing back then. <laughs> yeah. They do have, they do give her a weird hairstyle. Um, and they, they do uh, say that they think she might've been native American. And just the Wikipedia page for this has some good information that I'm going to share with you guys. Um, I, th- so investigators initially thought she was, uh, European or Native American. And then once they did the exhumation and examination of the remains, actually, okay, Dan, give us one more. <clears throat> <laughs> Dig them up. Dig them up. Because in 2012, they exhume her again. And yeah. they established that she's from Euro- of European descent. And apparently her bones indicated that she had an illness or malnutrition and had briefly had arrested growth in her childhood. But this is where it gets oh. very interesting, I think. Um, examining the lead isotopes in the victim's teeth. Ooh. A geological scientist deduced that the victim had undoubtedly spent her childhood and adolescence in southern Europe close to the sea and most likely south of the Greek city of Athens until within a year of her murder. So she had been in Greece or around there um, on the coast. Also uh, the geological scientist, George Kamenov pinpointed the most likely place as the fishing ports of Laurium, Greece. Yeah. I was going to say that makes sense that she was found in Florida. She probably came in on a boat from there or something. What year did what year did they find her again? Uh, nineteen seventy one. Yeah. That makes um, sense this is too. the most interesting thing that uh, you ready to have your mind blown? Are you going to blow his mind? I, I think I might blow your mind a little bit. So there's a little bit more information in between, but I feel like reading that part uh, gives credence to this last thing that they say on the Wikipedia page. Um, I guess I'm assuming because they could pinpoint her location to. Greece or thereabouts. They featured the story on a Greek crime show at one point. And a woman came forward and said that she believed the facial reconstruction looked like a girl she knew called Constantina. Oh, I did read something small about that. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently she and Constantina had attended a prep school in Greece where they were trained to be domestic help. That's very progressive of them. Um, after finishing the course, the school sent their students abroad to Australia or America as part of a two-year work contract. Mm. The school was funded by the International Organization of Migration, which has their own Wikipedia page in case anybody cares. This woman had lost contact with Constantina um, when they were separated. And Constantina was sent to America and the woman was sent to Australia. 
Constantina mm. had arrived in America at exactly the same time as the forensic testing indicated that the victim had, which was wow. around a year before. So it might be very, it very well might be this person. Yeah, that's, I like it. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. But God damn it. <laughs> I can't not see Rosie O'Donnell on this fucking, yeah. <laughs> on these facial reconstructions. She's like, eh. Hey, from, uh, like, early Rosie. Like, she's still married yeah, to Tom Arnold. Yeah, early Rosie from, uh, <laughs> from A League of Their Own. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Greek thing, the Greek, I don't know, the isotopes, it's so interesting how they can do that. They did similar, yeah. didn't they do... Didn't they do similar a similar thing with the uh, the lady in Oslo? Like they were able to tell what part yeah. of the world she was from from her teeth. You could clearly see if they, if she was British, you would clearly see it from their teeth. <laughs> anyway, this is another banger. Um, this can be another f- uh, two hour episode. Um, but anyway, thanks for joining us, guys. We'll be back next week with uh, season five, episode six. Uh, episode six. I'm David. That's Eli. That's Dan. Yeah, yeah that, that, I'm Eli, by the way. We've been the Stack Pack. Um, for every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is listening, and perhaps that someone is you.